there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! I want to begin this morning by sharing with you some prayers that children have written to God. A third grade teacher told her students that they could write a prayer and they could either ask or tell God anything they wanted. Nothing was off of the table. And so they started jotting down these prayers. And I want to read some excerpts of some of these prayers. Now, remember, these are third graders. Yeah, faith like a child, right? So here, here's a couple excerpts of some of the prayers that they wrote. Um, One little boy wrote this, Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you already have? (laughs) That's a pretty good question, right? Um, Another little boy wrote this, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not have killed each other if they had their own rooms. That's what my mom did for me and my brother. (laughs) I've lived that one. Uh, another little, uh, little guy wrote, in school, they told us what you do for a living, God. My question is, who does it when you're on vacation? And then this, this little girl wrote this. It's so innocent. She said, dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was that an accident? And then I love what this little girl wrote. She wrote, dear God, thank you for the baby brother. But I think you got confused because what I prayed for was a puppy. So another little girl wrote this, dear God, please send me a pony. I've never asked for anything. You can even look it up. And then a little boy wrote this. (laughs) He said, dear God, when I grow up, I want to be just like my dad with the exception of I don't want hair all over my body. So... And then uh, another little boy wrote, we read that Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school, they said that you did it. I bet he stole your idea. And then I like what this, uh, this other little kid wrote. She said, dear God, please send a new baby for mommy. The baby you sent last week cries way too much. And then this is my favorite. Last one here, just written by this little third grade girl from the heart of a child, here's what she said. Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made Tuesday. That was so cool. Love, Emma. I I love that. And that prompts me to ask you this question. When you pray to God, what do you ask God for? What do you pray for? Who do you pray for? What things do you say to God? How do you converse with the the Lord of the universe? How how do you speak to your heavenly Father? What does your prayer life or lack thereof look like? 
I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of prayer as we continue with our series on the armor of God. If you're new to us, uh, we have systematically gone through the armor of God passage mentioned in Ephesians 6. I want to show you a picture uh, of, of the armor. This is the equipment that Paul writes about, and it's, this is the equipment that God gives us to fight this supernatural battle that we have going on in our lives. And so one last time, let me just paint this picture because next week we're going to close this series out. Um, but one last time, when Paul writes this letter, the book of Ephesians, he writes it to a church in Ephesus. Paul is in prison. He's arrested for preaching Christ. He's never going to make it back to Ephesus. And so he's writing them a letter. And at the end of this letter, he is telling them, listen, get ready because there's this spiritual battle coming. And while he's in prison, he's chained to a Roman Praetorian guard. And he begins to look at the guard and the armor and then begins to systematically list the armor as these spiritual virtues that we're to put on when we come into Christ. And Paul is going to say, listen, you're going to enter this spiritual battle with the devil and his dark demonic army. And so what I want to do is I want to read verse, uh, I want to start with the verse we ended last week. That's Ephesians 6, 17. Then that mentions the last piece of the armor that we've been studying for a couple weeks, the sword. Uh, and then I want to go right into verse 18. Now, as we go into verse 18, I want you to notice the absolute seamless flow that Paul moves or he makes from the armor of God directly into prayer. Because here's what I want to submit to you this morning. If you have no prayer life, if you don't pray, your armor's useless. You've got, some not, you've got a nice costume on. You, you, you look good. You look like a super Christian, but without prayer, it's utterly useless. So let's go Ephesians 6. We'll pick up in verse 17. He says this, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, that's prayer, for all the saints. So Paul says, listen, you're at war. We're at war. There's this spiritual war. You can't see it going on around you. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against these evil forces. And so God has equipped you with armor. So here's the armor. Here's how you use it. Go ahead and put it on. And so we put it on and then we ask the question, okay, now what? Well, the very first word after the armor answers that question, because the very first word after we put on our armor, Paul says this, pray. And so it appears that the armor of God and prayer in the spirit are to be used together. You don't use one without the other. This thought has prompted many scholars and many teachers to call prayer the seventh piece of God's armor. Listen, there's no coincidence that prayer is the first word used after Paul says, armor up. In your Bibles, that little number 18, that was just put there by man. We put those chapters and those numbers there so we could quickly find passages of Scripture. 
But when you read it, it's, it's, it, there's not even a break. There's not even a period. Paul says, put this armor on, and then he moves right into prayer. So here, here's Paul's point, and here's the point I want to make this morning. This armor of God that we're supposed to put on, this supernatural armor for your soul to fight the good fight, this suit, this armor is not powered by you. It is not powered by your own efforts. It is powered through prayer. You you might have to be a little older to understand this phrase, but do you remember when people used to use the phrase, all dressed up and nowhere to go? You know, since COVID, no one just dresses up anymore. We just live life in sweatpants, which is great. I love it. Uh, But, you know, back in the day, uh, they used to use this expression, well, you're all dressed up and you've got nowhere to go. The the first time that I heard that expression uh, is when I was a little boy. I played football, little league, like rec league football. And I got up one Saturday morning and I had a game. It's like 11 o'clock. And so I got up pretty early and started to put on my football uniform and all my pads and my shoulder pads and put my helmet on and I was ready to go. And my mom walks in and I'm so excited. And she says, the game's been canceled. And I'm like, canceled? And she said, look outside. And it was just thunder and lightning and pouring down rain. So here I'm standing there ready to go. I'm all dressed up in my little football uniform. And my mom looks at me and says, well, don't you look cute? All dressed up and nowhere to go. It's like, you can leave now, mom. (laughs) This is us if we don't have a prayer life. We have God's armor. It's been given to us. We're all dressed up, but there's nothing to power the supernatural armor that we've been given to fight against these supernatural forces. And I think a whole lot of Christians are dressed up with nowhere to go because they have the armor, but they haven't plugged in to the power. So this might be a clumsy illustration. Let me try to illustrate it this way. I am not a superhero guy, but I do know Iron Man. Iron Man is a very, very popular superhero. Um, Tony Stark is this genius billionaire. He's one of the founding members of the Avengers, and he's the former CEO of Stark Industries, this multi-billion dollar company. Well, he makes this really cool suit of armor out of iron. It's amazing. It's the Iron Man suit. And when he puts this suit on, when he puts this armor on, he can do some amazing things. He can fly. He can deflect bullets. I mean, he can do all these things. But there's one catch. The suit needs power. Tony Stark is not strong enough to make himself fly. He's not strong enough to make the suit uh, work. It needs power. Without power, it's just this really cool-looking suit of armor. And so I checked with our resident superhero expert here at Elevate on this uh, just to make sure, uh, and he informed me that indeed the Iron Man suit does not work unless it has an outside power. It's that, you see that little light right here in the center? That thing is called the arc. Now, my nerdum doesn't go that deep, so I don't know what arc stands for, uh, but I did check, and without the arc, 
It's the suit doesn't work. It is just a hunk of iron. It needs power. And the point I'm trying to make to you is this. This armor of God that we are instructed to put on is a supernatural piece of armor, and it needs to be powered from something outside of ourselves. We don't have the strength. We don't have the fortitude. We aren't steadfast enough. We don't have the holiness to power that suit. We need an outside source. And Paul says, prayer is that power. Many people have been given the armor of God, but they haven't turned it on. You turn on the power switch with prayer. And so remember, for the last two weeks, we've been talking about sometimes the devil is not going to attack from far. Sometimes he's going to come up close and he's going to try to stab you with his dagger. He's trying to kill your heart. And sometimes you've got to engage in hand-to-hand combat. And and your weapon of choice given to us by God is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. But it's a very remarkable word. It's the word rhema in the Greek which isn't the written word, it's the spoken word. And so we said, when the devil comes up close, you can't just think scripture to get him off of your back. You've got to speak scripture to him. And we used the example of Jesus in the wilderness. Three times he quoted scripture and the devil fled. So many of you, I've gotten gotten lots of texts and a lot of emails. You say, I'm starting to do this, but I still feel like he's there. I still feel like he hasn't retreated yet. And my question for you then is this. Well, have you also been praying about it? Well, no. Well, you've got to pray. Or you just just have this really fly-looking suit of armor. You have to pray. So here's what it looks like. Whatever that sin that you struggle with, whatever that battle, the devil comes up on you and you you know he's coming up on you because he attacks you the same way with the same sin day after day. When he comes, you memorize that scripture. You verbally quote that scripture to him. And and, and whatever, if it's anxiety, if it's depression, if it's addiction, if it's pornography, whatever it is that you struggle with, you quote that and then you pray. You pray aloud, asking God for the strength to deliver you and thanking him in advance for the victory you're about to have. When you begin to do this, when we begin to quote scripture and to verbalize our prayer, we begin to gain traction in our spiritual life in a way that that may be foreign to us. And you're going to start to win more and more and more of those battles. But let me just pause and tell you, you're not going to win all of those battles because the devil is crafty. The devil is relentless. He wants you to give up, but we don't give up. We quit. We keep quoting scripture. We keep praying to God. We keep the Holy Spirit involved. And over time, we will have victory. And the more you win, the easier it will become. So let's jump into verse 18 and just swim around for a little bit. Paul says, remember, this is right after he says, armor up. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now that's a mouthful. What I want to do with the time we have left this morning, briefly, is I want to concentrate on those first seven words of verse 18, where Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. The first thing he says to do after we armor up is to pray at all times in the Spirit. So let's dig into that a little bit. Let's talk about that phrase, praying at all times. Praying at all times doesn't mean 
always saying prayers. Let me say that again. It doesn't mean always saying prayers. So the picture painted for us is not the moment your eyes open, you start praying to God, and until you go to sleep, you don't stop. You don't converse with anybody. You just pray constantly all day long, just word after word after word. That's not what praying at all times means. Friends, God is not interested with the number of words we use when we pray. He doesn't care how articulate your prayers may be. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7. He's talking about prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Here's the translation. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's literally saying, don't pray like those who pray from the flesh who pray to impress man with their clever words and prayers that go on and on and on and on. You ever been with somebody like that? They think the more they pray, the more God listens to them. And so like you're like four hours in and you're like, man, I got to bounce. Sorry. Um, Jesus says, listen, I'm not interested in that. God is not impressed with the language or the length of our prayers. He's more after the heart behind those prayers, the faith we have when we pray to our heavenly father. Praying at all times means to always be in communion with the Lord. When I was like 16 or 17 years old, I worked at a, uh, at a Christian camp. I was the lifeguard there. And I remember there was a group of high schoolers that came that year, and I fell for this young lady. Uh, she fell for me, and she lived in the state of West Virginia, and I lived in Virginia. And so at the end of the week, we made this promise. We're going to write each other every day. Uh, you know, we're going to try to call each other once a week because uh, we're in love. You know, you complete me and um, all that stuff. And, um, and so I got home, and we started writing letters. And then she said, listen, I, I want to hear your voice. I want to be able to talk to you. Well, I grew up in the 80s, and we didn't have cell phones. Um, and you could only make phone calls in your, the town that you lived in. That was free, right? If you made a long-distance call, you had, you, were, you had all these rate charges, and they sometimes were astronomical, especially when you went from state to state. And so I talked to my parents, and they're like, you could have 10 minutes a week. You can talk to her for 10 minutes a week. We're not paying for any more than that. Well, so we did that for a while. And then one night I called her. It was about 10 o'clock. Oh, and here's the second caveat to that. Uh, we had just bought this new phone, this new invention that came out. It was called a cordless phone. All right. And so we, I wasn't allowed to have a phone in my bedroom. So I could take the cordless phone out of the living room and go to the bedroom. And I had like six hours of battery life on that thing. Well, so she called it and our, our, I called her and our 10 minutes were up. And it was like 1030 at night. And she said, well, I'm not ready to get off the phone with you. She said, why don't, can, can you just leave the phone on and I'll leave my phone on um, and we can just, until we fall asleep. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll do that. And my plan was, I'm going to leave it off the receiver. And if I hear her starting to breathe hard, I'll just hang up. And uh, well, I fell asleep. And so for six hours, the long distance bill was just ticking, going up. It was like 25 cents a minute. Boom. All right, when that phone bill came in, dude, I got in so much trouble. But praying at all times is like leaving the receiver off the hook with God. 
You always have them there. I love what Warren Wearsby says about the phrase praying at all times. He says this, quote, praying at all times means you never have to say when you pray, Lord, we come into your presence because you never leave his presence, end of quote. You see, it's, a, it's keeping this open dialogue with God. It's this lifelong conversation with the master and the creator of the universe. Now remember, this letter that we've been talking about was written in the context of warfare. So Paul says, put on the armor of God, pray always, always keep God close, always have him uh, on the other line. Why? Because we're subject to being attacked by the devil. A surprise attack has defeated more than one believer who forgot to pray at all times. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 5? that uh, He tells us to be sober and alert because the devil is like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. You see, he wants to devour your hopes and your dreams. He wants to destroy your relationships and your financial well-being. He wants to deteriorate your faith and your trust at the core in God to ultimately bring death to your soul. So Paul says, pray at all times. Keep God close to you. Then look what he says next. He says, praying at all times. Here's the money phrase, man. In the spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. So, and I hate using this word formulation because I don't want you to think you can just boil down the gospel into a formula that if you do X, Y, and Z, you're good. But the, the biblical formulation for prayer or how we're supposed to pray biblically is we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to pray to the Father, through the Son, and in the the Spirit. Let me say that again. We're praying to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. Now, if you were to listen to the prayers that come off of this stage, from myself, from Will, from our host, if you would listen to the prayers that are said in your lift groups, if you would listen to the prayers that are said in Bible studies, if you would record your own prayers, you might find that we all do the first two very well. We, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus very well. In fact, how do we open up most of our prayers? Dear Heavenly Father, we're praying to the Father. And then when we close our prayers out, we always say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so we, we have gotten this praying to the Father through the Son. My question is this. Paul's question to us is this. Are we praying in the Spirit? We can't forget about the Spirit. You see, I believe it is possible to pray to the Father, dear Heavenly Father, through the Son, in Jesus' name I pray, and all the while exclude the Holy Spirit. And to be absolutely honest and transparent and frank with you, that looks like the prayer life of most evangelical Christians. I'll pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, but I'll leave the Holy Spirit out. What we're doing when we pray that way is we are just praying from the flesh. I want you to understand, anybody can do this. 
You can string together a beautiful prayer. You can wordsmith that thing so it flows out of your mouth like milk and honey, and, and you can be silky smooth and talk, and you can pray God to God in the name of Jesus, and you can have people weeping and crying. But hear me, if that prayer is not prayed in the Holy Spirit, that prayer makes it to this ceiling and no further because God is not impressed with our prayers that are prayed from our flesh. He wants, he desires for us to pray in the Spirit, to invite the Holy Spirit to be part of that prayer, to include him. Because after all, the Holy Spirit did a pretty remarkable thing for us. So go all the way back to week one, four and a half months ago. Here's what we said. Everybody in here is born with a body. And everybody that's in here, your body's still alive, I hope. Don't die on me yet. But we all have bodies. Those bodies are in different shapes and different conditions. And some are aging, and we're all aging, but some are aging faster. So we all have these physical bodies. Inside of us, when we were born, we had a dead spirit. Our spirit was dead. And sin, the curse of sin, is what killed that spirit. Okay, so in a literal sense, all of us were like the walking dead. Because we, we had bodies, but we had a dead spirit. Then Jesus came in and saved us. When he did, the Holy Spirit flooded our heart and resurrected our dead spirit so now we can commune with God. This is what 1 Peter 3.18 tells us. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So how does Christ make us alive in the spirit? With the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and raises our dead spirit because the curse of sin uh, that we were born under has murdered the spirits inside of us. And we've got to be able to worship God in spirit. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of God. And so the Holy Spirit comes into us. He raises our spirit back to life and takes up residence with us. Listen, you are here today. I am here today. We are spiritually alive because the Holy Spirit raised our dead spirits. So the least we can do is include him in our prayer lives. Let me just show you another scripture in passing to reinforce this point. Jude 20 says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So let me show you how this looks to pray in the Spirit. Because I think people misre misread this phrase and they get really confused. All right, a lot of people... When they hear the word, I've got to pray in the spirit, they try to work themselves up in their flesh with like these prophetic utterances and they try to manufacture this emotive feeling. I've got to feel a certain way, so I've got to kind of work myself up so I can like validate that the spirit is there. And so they, when they pray, they work themselves up in an emotional fervor because they think praying in the spirit is about their spirit. No. It's about praying in the Holy Spirit. And friends, you don't have to work up fervor for the Holy Spirit. He's a really charismatic dude. 
He's very charismatic. He is very energetic. And he's also a smooth talker. Praying in the Spirit is allowing the Holy Spirit to be involved in those requests and bringing those requests to God in a cohesive way. Because let's be real for a minute. Sometimes when you're under spiritual attack and the devil has attacked you, you can't even think straight, right? Like you're like, what, what just happened here? What just happened to my family? What, what just happened? What did I just do? Look at, look at the collateral damage I left behind. And so when we're attacked by the devil, uh, we can be shell-shocked. And we don't even know what to do, more or less know what to pray, right? How many of you have ever been there? In your weakness, man, you're like, I don't even know what to do. Well, Paul has a remedy for this. It's the Holy Spirit. He says in Romans 8, 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. Have you ever been there? Just so broken, not knowing what to say? I have. I think we all have. But the Spirit himself intercedes. In other words, he's about to get involved in your prayer. He's invested in you because he lives in you. So if we include him in our prayers, if we invite him there, he helps us out. How? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches the hearts and knows what, it, what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So translation is this. When you're in this battle and, and you don't know what to pray and you're, you're under attack and you just you say something like, God, I'm so frustrated. I don't even know what to say. The Holy Spirit takes that and somehow interprets it in a way that God can understand it, right? So in a, in a real sense, the Holy Spirit weeds out our feelings that come from the flesh and put them into words and brings them to God. In the late 1700s, uh, a young boy wanted to give his father a gift who had been gone for six months. He'd been away. And so he was really excited about his dad coming home, but they didn't have a lot of money. So his mom said, well, honey, why don't you go out to the garden and pick a beautiful bouquet of flowers? I'm sure your dad would love that. Okay, so he's a little guy, right? So he goes out and he starts picking flowers, but he also picks weeds and he picks grass. And so he just brings this big ball of just stuff, flowers, weeds, and grass, and he gives it to his, his mom. But rest assured, when his father did return, he received a beautiful bouquet of flowers because the boy's mother had intervened. She removed all the weeds and all the grass. And what I want you to understand this morning is this, is that our prayers are nothing as they leave our lips but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, turning them into sweet flowers of incense to our Heavenly Father. That's why we pray in the Spirit. I learned a valuable lesson. I've been preaching on this for four months, but I struggle like you do with the flesh, with sin, with all this. So I've been, I've been having this thing I've been praying about for a long time. And I'll just be honest with you. Uh, in December, we moved got a new house, and it, it's, it's a very much a fixer-upper. And, uh, and the deck was, the inspector said, this is the worst deck I've ever seen. It's got to come down. You got to build a new one. So we, um, we had a guy that was going to come 
do the deck, right? And like contractors do, we say, hey, I need cash up front so I can go buy the materials. So we gave him $8,300 cash and haven't seen him since. He's gone. Won't return phone calls, won't return text messages. Uh, for a while, he, he did, I'm coming tomorrow, and tomorrow, I'm coming tomorrow, I'm coming tomorrow. And so we're just out, $8,300. And so that has caused me to pray a lot. I mean, pray, pray, pray. Because for some of you, $8,300 is like, man, no big deal. For me, that's like life savings, right? And so I've been praying, but I have not been praying in the Spirit. I've been praying in the flesh. And, and, and it hit me between the eyes last night. I'm sitting on the porch. My father and mother-in-law live with us right now as they're building a house and they're going to move out. But we were sitting there and um, Benji's his name, my father-in-law. He said, hey, I was, uh, I was listening to this podcast from this preacher. And my first, my, my first reaction was like, oh, wait, you listen to other preachers? Yeah. <laughs> I hope you do, because you'll get better stuff there. So, so he, he said, yeah, and, uh, and it was on the subject of dealing with annoying, difficult people. And he said, what he said was this, when somebody comes against you or, or just annoying, don't pray about the person. Pray for the person. Now, that, that's just semantics. But let me tell you what I've been doing for four months. I've been praying about the person from the flesh. And my prayers have been like this. God, you know I love you. You know I've made a lot of sacrifices for you. $8,300 is going to kill us. I don't know what to do. So rain down boils on him and his family. May they be cursed. May they have locusts and gnats and frogs. Turn the blood in their bath, the water in their bathtub to blood. I don't care. But rain down until they relent and give me back my money. And it was from the flesh, right? And I never, I would pray and I would feel more angry. All right, so I just started this last night, right? So last night, I didn't pray about him. I prayed for him. I'm going to call him John. God, I pray for John. Something's going on in his life. He's gotten way behind or he's gotten in some kind of financial crisis. I pray, Lord, that his family has enough to eat. I pray that you send a blessing his way. I, I, I just pray for him. And more importantly than that, I pray for his soul. Okay, now, I only prayed once. And I know what you're thinking, right? As soon as I got done praying, the phone rang and it was him. And he's like, I'm coming over to do your deck. No, no, no. <laughs> Nothing like that. But what happened was for the first time in four months when I got done praying, I wasn't anxious. I was relieved. See, that's the difference between praying from our flesh, our old nature, this, this thing that died to sin, and praying from the part of us that's alive in Jesus Christ, praying from our spirit. And so when we pray, we ask ourselves, if this man ripped Jesus off for $8,300, what would Jesus do? He'd show compassion, wouldn't he? He'd show love. He'd, he'd pray for him. So that's kind of a case study in praying for the spirit. All right, I'm way out of time. Holy cow. In the Old Testament... Real quick, uh, in the Old Testament, before the temple was built, uh, they had this thing called the tabernacle, which was a, just a, a word for a really big, fancy, pretty expensive tent. 
All right, this is where God dwelled because the Israelites didn't have a home. They were wandering for 40 years and God lived in this tabernacle. Now, this tabernacle had the holy place where the priest would go and make sacrifices and do things. And then on the other side, there was a curtain and it had the holy of holy places where nobody was allowed in. Nobody wanted to go in there because you'd be struck dead. But in a very literal sense, this isn't a metaphor, in a very literal sense, in the Old Testament, God lived there. He dwell. He said, I, you're going to be my people. I'm going to live among you. In his Shekinah glory, he hung out there over the Ark of the Covenant. Well, on this side, there was this curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies, from the where God literally was. Right up against that curtain, there was this little piece of furniture known as the altar of incense. And here, every morning and every evening, the priest would go burn incense for the nation of Israel. Do you know what that incense is a picture of? Prayer. Prayer. The incense had to be mixed according to God's plan so it couldn't be counterfeited by man. And, and the priest had to do it. And he had a very specific way. When he burned the incense, he had to use fire. The fire on the altar is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It is he who takes our prayers, ignites them, and then brings them up into the presence of God. That is praying in the Spirit. So let's go back where we began this morning as we close this thing down. Think about those prayers written by that little third grade class. Just think about the innocence. Think about the faith. Think about the hope that these children had in their hearts. The understanding that God can, will, and does listen to, answer, and intervene when we pray. Think about praying that way. Having the faith of a child, knowing in your core, knowing in your soul that God loves you and he will listen to your prayers and do something about it. Paul says, that's how you pray. That's how you pray. So to kind of pull this thing together, because we're going to close it out next week, but here's Ephesians 6 in a nutshell. Paul says, we're at war. Now the devil will attack. Sometimes it'll be long range with those arrows we've talked about. So shield up, armor up, get ready, because those arrows are coming. He's going to attack. But sometimes he's not going to attack from long range. He's going to be right up on you in your face. You're going to have to engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And God has given all of us this supernatural armor to defend ourselves. So Paul says, put it on. But as soon as you put it on, before you try to use it, because this is a powerful powerful suit. Before you use it, you need to charge it. You need to supply it with power. And that power are, is our prayers, real prayer, heartfelt prayer, praying not in the flesh, but praying in the Holy Spirit. Paul says, put on this armor, keep it charged with prayer, and you will be ready to stand. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.